Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. I mean this morning, uh, be reminded that next Sunday we're having a special guest preacher, uh, Dr. Warren Smith from Duke Divinity School. He's the Associate Professor of Historical Theology. He's going to come give a sermon about the Lord's Prayer. He's going to preach all three services. He's a highly sought-after speaker and lecturer. You're really going to enjoy what he has to say. So please come back and hear him. And then we'll pick back up on this series of the church that we're on right now. And last week was the church is one. And today is that the church is holy. And we're following the Nicene Creed that says that the church is one, holy, apostolic, and Catholic. So when I hear about the church being holy... I automatically think, how is that possible? Because I'm a part of this church. I'm a part of any church. People make up the church. How is the church holy if it's comprised completely of sinners? And so I think, how is that even possible to the church to be holy? Well, for one, it's dependent on the action and grace of God primarily. God says that he makes us holy. And then after that comes our obedience would follow the idea of God making us holy. That we have to remember our baptism. That we were buried with Christ. And that we were raised to new life. And we were made into new creations. And coming up out of the water is representative of the resurrection. So we are made people. God wants us to be holy. Because that's what our original design was in the beginning. To be holy. And we have to be reminded of our baptism. Of that we are new creations in Christ. We have to be reminded because so many times in this modern American life, we make major concerns uh, and we, well, we, give, we make major space in our hearts for minor concerns. For example, for many, many years ago, I would mark out Monday nights as a major space in my heart for a very minor concern which was I would watch, I'm going to be honest here, I would watch The Bachelor. (laughs) I'm in church, I'm confessing. I made a major space in my heart for a minor, petty concern. I've since repented and I'm absolved of all of my sin for that. It reminds me of, you know, sometimes we, we, we can think something is so important, but it's really not. We kind of miss the major thing happening in front of us. It reminds me of a story of a family that was traveling to California and they had their bikes with them and they had a son and a daughter, age 10 and 12, and they were driving up the highway and the dad sees a state park sign and it says, naturalist camp. And he says, oh, let's go ride our bikes in the camp. Nature, that sounds nice. And so they go and they get out and they put their bikes and they put their helmets on and they go for a bike ride. And he says, soon I figured out what naturalist camp was when six naked people come on their bikes riding past me, and I think I'm the worst parent in the world. I have, we got to get out of here. I turned to look at my, this is not me, by the way, I read this in a book. But I turned to look at my children to say, let's get out of here, and the the daughter says, Dad, they're not wearing their helmets. So you could see something in front of you that you think is so important, but it's really not. Yeah, they're not wearing their helmets. That's true. So you didn't count as true 
what was actually true. You can miss the, uh, the point of holiness and the church being holy entirely. Like when I was younger, and I see this idea when God says in the Bible, be holy as I am holy. I, as a younger man, I read that and I, go, and I just thought, well, that, I, that's impossible. It's, it seems like such a high standard. Why should I even try, right? We all have thought that if you read that. Why should I even bother trying? And here's the good news, though, is that you're actually right. On our own ability, we can't. I can't be holy on my own ability. Only the Spirit of God in me can help me to be holy. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That holiness is not about focusing on external rules and some religious hoops, but it's purely grace. The indwelling Christ is what makes us holy. The author A.W. Tozer, if you've never read any A.W. Tozer, I recommend you go pick up some of his books. He wrote this, that holiness as taught in the scriptures is not based upon knowledge on our part. It's based purely on the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. That is amazing to me. That the same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead can live within you and live within me. And resurrect us into new creations as a holy people. Is Christ in you? Because something can be true... And you don't count it as true until you experience it for yourself. And Paul writes this in Romans 6. And people haven't changed. He's writing this. He's exhorting his reader. Please live holy lives. Please. I plead with you. Right? And this is what he says in Romans 6. You know, basically, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? He says, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead and by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. He's putting it in context. He's giving them a picture they can understand. He's saying, don't you remember that you were, the old way is buried with Christ. It's no longer your story anymore. That you're a resurrected person called to a holy life. But you have to have the context. You have to see the picture to see what God is saying. I heard about the story of a middle school girls in Oregon and they would go into the, the restroom, as girls do, and they would experiment with makeup. And they would go to the mirror, and they would kiss the mirror with lipstick on. And there were signs in the restroom that said, do not put makeup on the mirror. Do not write with lipstick on the mirror. And the girls get caught, and the principal takes the girls in there, and he goes, she says, look, girls, you can't do this. It's messing up the mirror. It's making a stain. And she looks to the janitor and says, will you show them how difficult it is to clean these mirrors? And the janitor takes his squeegee and he dips it into the toilet and starts to clean the mirror. He's giving them a picture that they would understand. When you see the context, you realize what was missing. Paul says, Romans 6 4, he's saying, here's the picture we died, we were buried with Christ by baptism. Don't go back to that old life. If God says you're dead to sin and you're alive in Christ as a new creation, 
God's word calling you as a saint, that's not reserved for other people. It's reserved for all people. See, it's kind of like moving into a new home or a new town. Like, you don't live there anymore. When I was age 7 to 13, I lived in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And we lived in a great neighborhood. I had great friends, and I loved it. But as it happens in life, you have to move sometimes. And so we moved back to our, where we're all originally from, Winston-Salem. And as you are when you move from a new house, you, you have, I would have dreams. You have dreams of your old house. Like you, you dream you still live there. I did for a little while. But those dreams stopped one day when I had a dream and I opened the door to my house, old house. And it wasn't scary, but there was a person standing there. And she, just, she said, you don't live here anymore. <laughs> and I woke up and I was like, oh, I don't live there anymore. I have a new address. And in the same way, Paul is saying here, you don't live there anymore. You're called to be a new creation, a holy people. You don't live there anymore. You've been given a new address. Maybe you can say a new address as a citizen of heaven. And with new life comes new possibilities. The old captivities, the old temptations, they're buried. Let them die. And when you came up out of the water, it's a picture of your resurrection. We, we have a bumper sticker kind of uh, culture in our, in, our, in our country. And I've seen these bumper stickers over the years. People mean well. They're Christian bumper stickers. And I'm not, if anyone has this on your car, it's totally fine. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad because it's partially true. It's this bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. Right? You've seen that? It's kind of cute. A little bit smug. Like, I'm not perfect, but I'm a little bit better than you. Because I've been forgiven. Right? And it's like, yeah, atheists are really hitting their knees over that one. They're like, oh, I repent. No, I mean, but I get it. I get it. They're saying, look, I'm not perfect. I, you know, God's just forgiven me. And I, I get that. And it's true. But it's really only half the gospel, though. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God forgives you. Absolutely. That's great. But see, you're not only forgiven, but you're set free. From the power of seven. You're, you're given a new life, a new identity, a new address. You don't live there anymore. The debt has been paid. Your old life was buried with Christ. And you're called to holiness and therefore have a holy church. It's sort of like if you broke the law and you got put into jail and you had to serve your time. And you serve your time. And you get out. And your all debt against you is wiped out. The law has no more claim over you anymore. Would you still stay in jail? Would you stand in your jail cell? No. You would gladly walk out. The Bible teaches us that Christ doesn't only forgive us of our sin. He calls us to freedom. To step out of that cell. Because he's already turned the key and opened the door for you. He's done it all for you. And Peter writes about that in 1 Peter 1.13. It says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Of all the goals we have in life, of all the major concerns that take up our heart and mind and thoughts. I think pursuing holiness as Christians, if you're not a religious person here today, hear me. I'm not here to lay something on top of you that feels impossible. This is more of like a sanctification, Christian living idea. But the most important thing maybe to pursue is the holiness of God. Seek, just seeking the face of God. 
Because holiness is God's will for your life. It's God's goal for your life. So when you seek holiness, you are living into the will of God. Oswald Chambers writes about this. If you've never read Oswald Chambers, My Utmost First Highest Devotion book, it's really good. He said, God has only one intended destiny for all people, holiness. His only goal is just to produce saints. God is not some eternal blessing machine for people to use, and he did not come to save us out of pity. He came to save us because he created us to be holy. Now, if you're familiar with different uh, denominations in in the church and Christianity, there are some that teach this idea of, of entire sanctification, that you can be completely absolved of your sin. And I've met these people, and they'll say, I haven't sinned in five years, I haven't sinned in 12 years, that sort of thing. Now, as Wesleyans, we don't believe that. I'll get to this in a minute, but... But and that's a, it's a thing. It's out there. And I read on Christianity Today this week, the, an author of an article. He talked about his grandmother growing up, and she they were a part of that denomination. And he went to his grandmother one day and said, "Grandma, have you? When is the last time you sinned?" And she said, "Oh, I don't know. It's been five or six years." And and back then he said they had a party line on their phone. This, for those of you who are younger here, a whole street had the same phone line, and you could pick up the phone and just listen to people talk. Yeah, I know, it's crazy, right? Some of the younger people are like, what? Yeah, you could just listen. And if you wanted to make a phone call, you had to wait till the line was open so you could call someone, all right? That's crazy, but it's true. And he said my grandmother would, would just pick up the phone and just listen to people, just listen to their conversations. And then she would call a friend and gossip about what she had heard. It's very common. It's very common. He goes to his grandmother and says, Grandma, didn't you say you haven't sinned in like six years? Well, yes, darling, that's true. But I just heard you gossiping on the phone. And she said, oh, those weren't sins. Those were just mistakes. <laughs> right? You know, we're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Spiritual maturity, holiness, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifetime. It's like an oak tree. It's not a mushroom. Right? It takes time. But on one hand, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48... We must be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And he's, he's getting on this idea of holiness, right? And he's, if you read the context around that verse, he's saying it's about, you know, he's talking about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. He's talking about right action. And he's, he's equating perfection, not simply with just thinking the right thing or believing the right thing, but about your action, the way those beliefs work out in your actions. That's how he's saying about perfection, or you could even say holiness. John Wesley believed and taught that we could attain a form of Christian perfection in this life. But he did not mean um, being morally flawless or sinless. He meant perfection in the sense of maturity. Wesley believed we could become perfect in divine love in this life. And if Jesus invites you and I to perfection, it means that he knows that it's possible. That it's possible. He didn't mean that you'd be free from mistakes. He didn't mean that you'd be, never be tempted. Being tempted is not a sin, by the way, in case you're wondering. We all get tempted to do things. He didn't say you'd be free from temptation. You'll be free from failure. He's just saying growing as a Christian, growing in holiness, growing in perfection. It's about being filled with divine love. And that happens by the grace of God. And it's this divine love that should set us apart as a people. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. And it literally translates the called out ones. So there's a nature of the church that should be 
not of, but in the world, and that, but our divine love for each other and the world should set us apart, not for our glory, of course, but for the glory of God. You know, that it's through God's will within us that we can be made holy. And if you read the Old Testament, like many of us have, there's a lot of God's holiness that comes up. Over 900 times in the Bible, that's the characteristic that is shown more than any other is God's holiness. Being perfect, flawless, sinless. Now, some people believe this, that the Old Testament God is somehow different than the New Testament. And that's not true. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Now, God will reveal himself in different ways. But God is God. He's outside of time. God does not change. So when God says something in the Old Testament, especially about making us holy, I think that still stands. Leviticus 21.8. He says, I, the Lord, am holy, and I make you holy. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. But he's saying, I will make you holy. Exodus 31.13. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath, for the Sabbath is a sign of covenant between me and my generation to generation. And this, this it is given so you may know that I am the Lord, again, who makes you holy. So God says repeatedly in the Bible, he's holy, we're not, but that he will make us holy because he loves us. Now, why would God do that? He loves us. That's one reason. That's the main reason. But another is that the devil, Satan, likes to take things that are sacred and desacralize them. See, for example, baptism, it's a sacrament. See, you hear the word sacred in there? It's holy. It's a set-apart thing, right? It's a sacrament, something that Jesus instituted. Satan wants you to think that your baptism doesn't count. That, yeah, yeah I did that when I was a kid, but that's not who I am now. He wants to keep you in the old house, right? He wants to keep you in jail. He wants to keep you under the thumb of your past. He wants to, to say, oh, you're nothing but an alcoholic, or you're nothing than used goods. You know, he wants to keep you in that old life. And see that you've not been resurrected. And that you're not set apart to be a holy and pleasing sacrifice to God. He takes things that are sacred and he desacralizes them. He twists them and tries to make them unholy. But the Spirit will give you strength to own your baptism. Because God will take that which is unholy and he'll make it holy. Because he is holy. And what seems to be beyond repair, he will fix. Every time. Life by life, like lights coming on, his church will be holy. Because he is holy. And it's purely by grace. Now, I was raised in the 1980s, and there was this campaign that went on called Just Say No. You've been a part of the Just Say No rallies in the gym. We sit in the gym and just say no, just say no. It's on TV. The president's doing it. This huge war on drugs. It was a great thing. It empowered kids to just say no, to know that they could. And it it was a positive thing. Did it stop every child from doing drugs? No, it did not. But it was a good idea. But it, I wish they could have said this, but they couldn't because it's, you know, a religious idea. But if they could have said, say yes to God, then you can say no. Because all the no's I can generate will not ward off temptation sometimes. Unless my yes is to God is higher and stronger than myself. Because left to myself, all of my no's won't cut it sometimes. Holiness is not just about saying no. It's about saying yes to a stronger and higher yes to God 
counting yourself as alive to God, resurrected out of your baptism as a new creation, that he has done this and it is received into your life by faith. It's not about what you're being saved from. It's about what you're being saved into. It's a totally different way of thinking about it. Some people were raised in church and you think being saved is just escaping hell. That's not it. He's saying, I'm saving you into new life. I'm saving you to become a new creation. To be holy. A new identity. And one pathway to holiness as we get older and go throughout our Christian walk is obedience. Like I said, sometimes you take one step forward, two steps back. But we should welcome God's discipline because he loves us. And Hebrews writes about this. Hebrews 12, 9. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. And here's the point. So that we might share in his holiness. That God, go back to that. That God disciplines us so that we might share in his goodness and his beauty and his perfection and his peace. He's not out to ruin your fun. He's out so that you might share in the goodness of who God is. Purely because God is the ultimate good. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. See God challenges us because he wants us to share in his holiness. Because he loves you. And there will be moments of failure repeatedly. And every time that happens God's grace will meet you there. Every time. See, God wants us to be holy out of love, not out of judgment, not out of that you're not good enough, not because he's angry with you, but because God loves you and he loves me. And the best way to show that we love God is to, with God's help, to live lives of holiness. And to remember the quote from John Wesley that I used last week, and it's worth repeating, I think, every week of my life. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. I need, I need to print that out and put it on my wall. And then Paul in Romans 12, he's pleading with the listener, the reader, to give of themselves as a sacrifice, as a holy sacrifice to God. He's, he uses strong language. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I plead to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, set apart, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's a correlation between that. It's a two-way street. That we, as we give of ourselves to God, that he will help us and lead us into holiness. And sometimes it hurts and it's not fun, but it's for our own good. Because God wants to transform you into a person that will, will bless those around you. Because as God is so good, he blesses everyone around him. People couldn't, could, they just were gravitated to Jesus all the time. Because he was the ultimate holiness, the ultimate good. And people wanted to be a part of him and be with him. And in the same way. God wants to change us into people that are a blessing. Just this past week or two, we decided to show my kids some of the old Mr. Rogers from like the 70s and 80s. These old, you know, the episodes of the show. 
And, um, and I so would have it. YouTube, I was watching YouTube this week, and YouTube's got me figured out. They said, we recommend you watch Mr. Rogers receiving a 1997 Emmy uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. And I was like, okay, I'll watch that, sure. And um, he gets up on stage, and then it shows the crowd, all these actors and actresses, and they're all just crying. And then he starts to talk, and as soon as you hear his voice, it's like it just evokes something. If you didn't know, Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister, and he was a godly man, and and he used this show as, a, as really as a medium to be a ministry. And he blessed millions of children, teaching them how to be a good neighbor and to love and to be considerate and kind. And, and he was such, I think he was a holy man. And it, he was in such a way that it blessed the world. And that's what God wants, I think, for us. To be the people that people would look at us and go, that their life is a sacrifice to God. And they are a blessing to those around them. When I, over the course of my life, my feet have probably taken me to places I shouldn't have gone. My ears have heard things that I could have avoided them hearing. Your hands could have been a source of blessing and healing, but sometimes they make a fist. Our eyes may have lingered too long at something we know we shouldn't have looked at. Paul is saying in Romans 12, give of yourself and let God use all the part of you For holiness. So I'm going to pray. And the first little bit, I want you to pray. Just by yourself. To offer to God that which maybe you need to say, God, make this holy for me. I can't do it. And he will. He'll help. So let's pray. God in heaven, we offer you ourselves as a living sacrifice. That we pray, God, you will help us to be holy. And we confess, God, that we are unable to do it on our own strength. But you, your word says that in our weaknesses, that you will show your strength. That you will make us into new people. But we don't live in that old house anymore. You've given us a new address, a new identity. You are making all things new. You want to make us into a holy people. And I pray for anyone here today, that maybe they've never been baptized. Maybe they've heard this and they don't know what I'm really talking about. But they know they need to be made new. We all know that. That by faith we can say to you, God, make me new. Make me a, give me a new identity. And that you will come and meet us there. You stand at the door of our heart and you knock. And you say that if we will open the door that you will come in and be one with us. So God, we offer you this time of worship. We offer you our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.